Calling all AEC professionals. Get ready for unparalleled professional insights with detailed and original podcasts by RCAT. This is the podcast that brings you the untold stories and lessons learned behind the design and delivery of a building project. Hey, it's Sharice Lakeside, aka the CSI Kraken, and your host. Join me as we dive deep into the tales of conflict, triumph, and sheer ingenuity. Yeah, so when Serena was named for the, it was going to be named for the building, you know, we really were able to work with teams at Nike Branding and how to really infuse her influence and identity in the very public spaces. Detailed features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who spill the beans on the most complex, interesting, and downright odd building conditions they've encountered. Another challenge of the of the shuttle is actually and putting it in launch position is how you brace that seismically. It's really supported by only two pins at the base of the booster rockets. And there's a large base isolator that's underneath the shuttle that kind of prevents it from moving too much in an earthquake. The, you know, when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, acoustically, you really need a high floor to floor so that you can have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that, that speech intelligibility is really good. Every episode unveils lessons learned and connects you to the products you need to navigate similar challenges. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Detail today and be prepared for the unexpected on your next project. Every building has a story and we are here to tell it. Dr. Sutton in the house. I'm not there yet. Oh, no, my. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jump in the gun there. Too soon. Too, too soon. Too soon. Um, Cold open. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season's theme is Living Legends. We will be talking about ladies who are alive and over 80 years of age who have contributed to their professions and continue to inspire us to this day. Literal living legends, y'all. This week, we're talking about the iconic Dr. Sharon Sutton. She is a musician an architect, an activist, author, educator, and all-around living legend, the boss. I'm Jessica Rogers, missing some manicotti based out of Miami, Florida. Hey there, I'm Lizzie Rahr, missing out on some quilting time from San Francisco. And I'm Nargeti Rivas, missing a pickleball game in Houston, Texas. Time for a disclaimer. Remember, we are not experts. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find as friends having a fun conversation. If you find an error, send us an email and we will all continue learning. All right, let's jump in. So our story begins in the year 1941. Sharon Agretta Sutton was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. At the age of five, Sharon began taking piano lessons from a piano player, specifically the organist from her mother's church. I love a musical lady. Me too. This is giving me Ruth Gordon Schnapp episode 89 vibes. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So one of my resources is 
actually an interview by Julia Gamolina at Madame Architect. And in the interview, Sharon talks about her childhood and the role of Ohio during the time that Jim Crow laws were in effect. So, for example, Sharon couldn't go to, say, the local skating rink or swimming pool because colored people weren't allowed in. That must have been so hard for her growing up and for all of those kids. Yeah, awful. Yeah, and it's crazy to think that people that experience that are still alive today and can recall. Right. It's recent history. Right. Exactly. So for Sharon, her music was something that she could do, Mm. I guess. It also reminds me like how it was for me. Like It was something to take up time while my parents worked. So they just put me in those after-school classes, you know? For Sharon, in college prep high school that she went to, Sharon would be introduced to the French horn, which, fun fact, I also played. What? Not in high school, though, but yeah. Mm -hmm. I had no idea you played an instrument, much less the French horn. You didn't? No. (laughs) That's so cool. (laughs) I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Okay, so yes, I played the French horn, but not in high school, though. I think I did, like, two years of uh, French horn lessons when I was in middle school, so sixth and seventh grade, before going fully into art. And, Najee, I think all of us played some sort of instrument at some point between the three of us, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so I played the cello in middle school and high school. I wanted to keep playing in an orchestra in college, but studio schedules did not allow. So now my cello is gathering dust in my closet. Whoops. Oh, how sad. (laughs) I know. I played the piano for a hot second when I was a little girl, but my true love is the bass. I played that for an even hotter second as a teenager, but not in school. Electric or standing? I really would like to play standing, but I only played the electric bass. Yeah. Gotcha. And also not in school or anything. I was just learning by myself with the internet, you know. Which is impressive. Yeah. By the way. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so for me, um, my high school didn't offer music. It was all based on design, right? Like I went to art school. Um, But actually, when I was applying to high schools, like I wanted to go to a, a special magnet school. I had the option to go down the music route, but I hated practicing, and I hated carrying the French horn. I thank my parents that they had the sense to rent my instrument instead of buying it, because I obviously did not want to, like, hold on to it. Because it was such a drag to, like, carry, and I also did music and art, so, like, don't even get me started, like, having the days that I had to carry my French horn and, like, a portfolio or, like an art piece or a mop, like, ugh, ugh, it's too much. I mean, I feel you on the big instruments. Anytime I had to bring my cello places, it was always like a game of Tetris to be able to fit it in the backseat of the car. Like, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honey, try carrying that stuff on the bus. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> back to Sharon and things that I have in common with her. So this college prep high school that Sharon attended It was similar to my high school in the sense that students had to study an art-related course along with her academic courses. So in the case of Sharon, she actually, that was part of her curriculum. She took music and her academic classes. I love all these connections between you and Sharon. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. special when you connect on a personal level with a lady that you're learning about. 
Yes, it was mind-boggling to me, like, as I was reading it. I've always been a fan of Sharon, but to know her personal story was like, oh, my God, it's crazy. (laughs) Okay, so Sharon would get a full-ride scholarship to the Manhattan School of Music for the French horn. Woo! Go Sharon! So Manhattan, as in she moved to New York City from Ohio, right? Correct, yeah. So after high school— Not Manhattan, Kansas? (laughs) No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Just check it. After she graduated high school, she went to uh, Manhattan for college. So, yeah, she went to school in New York to further her knowledge of the French horn. Sharon would graduate from college and tour with the Soul Horror Attractions. She performed on Broadway and Radio City Music Hall. Plus, she was on the original cast album of the recording of Man of La Mancha. She really went for it and had, like, a whole music career. This is so cool. Mm -hmm. It's really awesome that she's on an original cast album, too. I was in pit orchestra for the musicals in high school, and I loved it. It was so fun to, like, play along with the shows, and I bet Sharon had a great time, too. Oh, yeah. It's so interesting because Sharon will recall that in the 1960s, she believes that she might have been one of or the first Black female French horn player in a union. Professional musicians are unionized, which is also interesting because in the musicians' union, she didn't feel any, like, pay inequity. In fact, since she was a French horn player, you know, I guess the French horn is somewhat of a rare or unpopular instrument. They played French horn players a little bit more, which now is making me really think my life choices. Like, I, sh- I like, went down the wrong road. I could have <laughs> been making bank. Okay, I was, like, second chair, okay? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I think... <laughs> I think it's probably still competitive, but I get what you're saying. That's so interesting, though, and I love that she was able to not feel those inequities in her chosen profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same, I'm glad that she was paid her worth. Yes. I'm also curious about this musicians' union. I've never heard of musicians being in a union. I wonder if my family's mm-hmm. in a union. This sounds like something, maybe it varies state by state. I don't know. I'm, I'm actually texting my brother right now, asking him, are you in a union? <laughs> I mean, I think mm-hmm. when you're in like a professional orchestra setting, that, you know what I mean? My brother is the first chair of the Puerto Rican symphony. So, oh, so there you go. Oh. So if there's a union, he'd be in it. <laughs> yeah, know. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Does he play the French horn? Is he going to get paid a lot more than the rest? <laughs> he plays the trombone. The first trombone. Yeah. Trombone. <laughs> so we'll tell you in the wrap-up. Maybe you can find out if my brother's in a union or not. Union. <laughs> in a union. <laughs> you know what, though? I was going to ask. I should have texted you earlier to see. But anyway, it's fascinating so eventually Sharon goes into architecture, right? Like, this is why we're here. Like, I, I mean, the episode is on architecture, not on French horn players. Yeah, I'm curious about how the switch happens, you know? Super curious. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know I tend to, to drift a little, but this would have been a little too far. <laughs> um, okay, so it's also an interesting story. So, you know, Sharon is living in New York, playing the French horn, blah, blah, blah. But Sharon is struggling to find an apartment. So, similar to today, she is dealing with a housing shortage. 
and that ever-added obstacle, race. In an interview with Sharon from 2011, she says that New York City is the third most segregated city in the nation, which I found that to be very fascinating because mm. I hadn't heard that, um, but I can see it. Anyway, just a little food for thought. Um, so, to solve this problem, Sharon bought a vacant former rooming house and she renovated it into a rent-controlled Class A multifamily home. Okay, real estate mogul. Love hearing how people get into development. Yes. So this was her main thing. I forgot to mention, like, she's a musician, right? And with musicians, they always pay attention to the acoustics. So she was always very cognizant of the spaces that she practiced mm-hmm. and the spaces that she played in. So that's like a little side anecdote because that's how she said that she was always aware of architecture. Sure. But buying that property was her first kind of foray into design. Exactly. So yeah. in 1967, Sharon would enroll at Parsons School of Design and then later on continue to study architecture at Columbia University, where she would be mentored by the iconic J. Max Bond Jr. and Romaldo Giorgola. Oh, Romaldo Giorgola was an Italian architect who came to the States and taught at Penn and Columbia. He also had a firm in Philadelphia called Mitchell Giorgola Architects and worked on the Wright Brothers National Memorial Visitor Center. He was colleagues with Louis Kahn and others at Penn and was part of a group Mm. dubbed the Philadelphia School by a critic in 1961. Their designs were breaking with traditional modern tenants of the previous decades. And J. Max Bond Jr. was a prominent Black American architect at a time when that was unheard of. He was a pioneer in his profession and broke many glass ceilings. He had a career that I actually aspired to have. Government buildings, libraries, cultural centers, international projects, head of committees, academic. The list goes on and on and on. Iconic. Yeah, what an honor for her to study under these two men. Yeah, right? All right, so... Sharon would earn her MARC degree in 1973 and open up her own practice in 1976. Now, I didn't quite see when exactly she got her license, like what was the year, but Sharon did get her architecture license. And from the looks of it, in an interview, she mentions that she would be the 12th Black woman to receive her license. This lady is such a boss. She had a successful career as a musician, which is not an easy feat. Mm -hmm. And then she lived a problem and was like, I'm going to change careers and be a part of the solution and dove right in. Like, who does that? Now she owns her own architecture firm and she's a Black woman. Imagine the unending hoops she had to jump through. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, each of these career accomplishments are impressive on their own, right? But to pivot and do both of them, like music and design, amazing. Amazing. All right. Okay, there's more amazingness that happens. So later in 1982, Sharon would earn a master's in philosophy and a PhD in psychology from the City University of New York. Dr. Sutton in the house. (laughs) Okay, but she's going for a third career? Like, (laughs) what? Uh, Keep it coming. 
I mean, I think this is like a first for our ladies, right? To have three separate careers. Okay. This is wild. Cogelo con tequerisi. I don't, well, maybe it is a third Like career. different fields. Different yeah. fields is more what I mean. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, different fields. Because I don't know if she necessarily applies. Well, she applies what she learns in psychology and philosophy, I think, later in her career. To architecture. To architecture. So. Sure. But she a doctor. So, also, I should clarify, though, that while she's earning her PhDs, Sharon was teaching architecture at Pratt Institute and Columbia University. Ekumi. So maybe a third career. This lady, she's just doing it all. Yeah, what? (laughs) Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire, all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA continuing education services provider. Upon completion, we handle everything. From reporting your hours directly to the AIA to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media. Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote-unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. At some point after this, Sharon accepts a teaching position at the University of Michigan. Go blue. That's right. Okay, so while at the University of Michigan, Sharon was selected for a prestigious fellowship called the W.K. Kellogg National Leadership Fellowship. This basically allowed Sharon to create a K-12 outreach program in urban design. Tied to this program, Sharon would author two books, Learning Through the Built Environment and Weaving a Tapestry of Resistance. That is so great. Young education is so important. Is this program still alive? Also, 
Those books sound like a must-read. Yeah, the program sounds amazing. And I love that she was able to publish her findings from the program so that others can learn from it, right? Yes. This is how I know of her, because those books came across that I would come across, and I want to read them. Yeah. So I believe the program still exists in some shape or form. We'll get into a little bit more of what she does. Um, But anyway, so besides these books, Sharon has been published in all these places. Like I mentioned her books, but she's also publishing articles. And because of this, she has also given lectures all over the country. Now, when we talk about academia, things like publishing, this can all bode really well for a professor. So this would lead to Miss Sharon to be the first African-American woman to be promoted as a full-time professor. Yay! Congrats, Sharon. Sounds like she really deserved it for all the work she was doing and publishing, right? Yeah. So she would also become the second African-American woman to be elevated to fellowship in the AIA. Now, if you can recall, our episode two lady, Norma Merrick-Scaleric, would be the first. I do recall. And that is so cool to talk about the second. The first always get all the glory, but I like knowing about seconds and thirds too. Yep. So it's, it's really fascinating to put it all in context. Now, this would lead Sharon to also become the first Black woman to serve as the president of the National Architectural Accrediting Board. Wow. Way to go, Sharon. Just getting all the firsts and seconds and doing it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, that is so important. She was so invested in education. Yeah. NAP provides oversight to make sure architecture programs meet certain important criteria. So it's not the Wild West out there, you know? There's a lot of organizations that keep this profession very regulated, which I kind of like. It puts a lot of weight into calling ourselves architects. Agreed. So, yeah, any sort of leadership, it's always nice. Uh, I would tie NAB with NCARB, AIA, ACSA. Those are like the heavy hitters when it comes to how architecture gets regulated from school to licensing and beyond that. So anyway, winning all of these accolades and leadership roles, Sharon would be inducted into the Michigan Women's Hall of Fame. Hey. How could she not? It was only a matter of time. I mean, it really was. Mm-hmm. Now, Sharon will continue to teach at a lot of universities, such as the University of Washington. One of her concentrations is the urban environment and civic engagement. She would serve at the Seattle Design Commission, Capitol Hill Design Review Board, and a few others. I love that she's spreading her knowledge all over the country. You had me at civic engagement. I need this education in my life. Yep. All right. So in 2009, Sharon would be the second African-American woman to be awarded the AIA Whitney M. Young Jr. Award for Civic Engagement. Again, Lady Episode 2, Norma, was the first. So be sure to check out our show notes because I have a great photo of Sharon and Norma from the 2009 AIA National Conference when Sharon accepted her award. Now, I will need to confirm this in our wrap-up episode, but 
if a person is an AI member that wins the Whitney M. Young Jr. Award, they typically get automatically elevated to fellowship. But I'm not sure if Sharon would have gotten elevated at that moment or if she got elevated before. But it's still an amazing honor. I can't wait to see this. Me too. Yeah, the photo is great. I almost like fangirled. I was like, oh my God. Look at that. Like an icon with the living legend together. It's like, ah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So after winning all of the awards and doing all the things, Sharon would move back to New York to teach at Parsons School of Design. And of course, because she's amazing and people were like, oh my God, she's back in New York. AI New York would welcome her with their chapter Medal of Honor. And the Beverly Willis Foundation will award her the Beverly Willis Architecture Foundation's Oculus Award. Wow on wow on wow. What a homecoming. Mm-hmm. All right. So in 2017, Sherwood published another book called When Ivory Towers Were Black. This is a book that has been on my reading list for so long. It is a book that is described to be at the intersection of race, urban development, and higher education. Another must read. Mm-hmm. Adding it to my Libby list now. Yes. Sharon is someone who continues to do the work. So, Nergidi, when you asked about her K-12 through outreach programs, I'm not sure if the one that she started back at the University of Michigan still exists, but I know that there are several others that still remain that I'm sure that she's involved in. And just hearing... She was inspiring to me before I found out about her, just of like all the things that she's done in academic spaces and her books and her articles and her speech, her lectures. But she still continues to inspire me today. And learning about her, like y'all, it just gives me chills to see how much we have in common. Like a fellow French horn player. You know how many French horn players there are? Not that much. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> If you say so. I mean, I can't believe I knew nothing about this lady until today. I have a new role model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm also bummed that we hadn't heard about Sharon until now, but I'm really glad we're talking about her. It sounds like she's really working hard to bring issues of race and urban development to the forefront and talk about how we can create better designs that address these issues. Yes, she's incredible. Now, I do have to give credit to two interviews that I re- I referenced throughout. One was conducted by Madame Architect, like I mentioned, and um, Parlor, which is a UK-based group. They both provided great insights in their conversations with Sharon. I thought they were very insightful. I'm so thankful for these resources because I've used them too in the past Thank you, Madame Architect and Parlor, for sharing all your great work. Yes, thank you. Okay, so I, you know, we, we like our quotes. Or, yeah, so I want to share two. One is Sharon's response when asked about her core mission. This is what she says. During my W.K. Kellogg National Leadership Fellowship, which built fellows' aptitude to work across disciplines as change agents, I determined that my agency would derive from intellectual leadership. That is, I would learn to lead through the power of ideas and voice rather than through a formal position. To that end, I have aspired to understand the ways that place, locality, intersects with collective human agency to spark transformation in oppressive and unjust conditions, whether large or small. Most importantly, 
I strive to communicate my understandings in a way that motivates others to take action. I have to say it's working. I just want to leave this recording, take off my earphones, walk away, and go be an agent of change right now. I don't know how, I don't know where, but I got to (laughs) go. We're not done with the episode yet, though. We'll stay a little bit longer. I know. Okay, I'll stay. I'll stay for you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely see that that was what spurred her career in the direction it went, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to convey these ideas to people in order to push them into action. Yes. All right. So for the second quote, it's advice. Uh, She was asked, what's advice that she would give to those starting their careers? So Sharon responds, my advice for young people, regardless of their birth gender, would be believe in something that is larger than yourself that connects you to your genealogy, culture, and locality. Then build relationships around that larger something so that you will have the audacity to resist the flattening seduction of neoliberal capitalism. That's deep. I think that pertains to anyone at any stage of their career. That's just good forever advice. Agreed. Right. I just, I love those. They're good motivator quotes, in my opinion. Yeah. For sure. All right. Now we have reached the second half of our episode, The Karyotid. This is where we select a woman living today who is doing her thing, furthering the profession, and whose work continues to hold the profession up, just like the karyotids or columns shaped like women found on Greek-style buildings. All right. So without further ado, this week's karyotid goes to... Nisha Harper Mission. Nisha. All right, so Nisha reminds me so much of Sharon. First, she is a self-proclaimed archivist, a term that she created that is basically an architectural professional and enthusiast uh, driving economic, environmental, and social reform to foster positive changes in society and within the profession. Now, that's a quote from her website, but yeah. An architect and an activist together. Yes, I'm so glad that we're talking about her. I enjoy following her on Instagram. She shares a lot of great things. She's another one that makes you feel, as an architect, there's a lot we can do to just do better. We just got to figure it out and go do it. Mm -hmm. This is so cool. And I love that she's creating this new terminology or like career pathway, right? Mm -hmm. Also, activist just sounds so badass legit. I'm so proud to call myself an architect, but now I want to be an archivist. I need to get on that. All right. So besides being an archivist, Naisha is an educator, speaker, business strategist, and an architect. She's based out of the Netherlands. But as we speak, she did announce this week in December that she will be moving to Canada on Instagram. Yeah, she'll be moving to Toronto. Right. I saw that. Wow. A worldly lady. (laughs) Yep. Just like Sharon. Wow on wow on wow on wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's so cool. I hope to meet both of them someday since we're talking about, you know, living legends and icons. Let's work on that. Let's make it happen. Yep. All right. So before we say see you later, we want to give thanks to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer. And most of all, thank you all for listening. 
Remember to check out our show notes for links to all of our resources on this episode, as well as pictures of projects we've talked about. We hope you enjoyed learning about Sharon and Naisha along with our banter and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing ladies. Again, thank you. She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you enjoyed it, Please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your French horn players, your orchestra musicians, your archivists, and your archivists too. Just tell them all. <laughs> Give us five stars on iTunes and Spotify. Write us a nice review. This all helps us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com, leave a comment on our website at shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspod, and on X at shebuildspod. Until then, bye! 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 Oh, the game's at five. Sorry. <laughs> What did you say? Game 75? The game is at five. I forgot. Is it a UM game? <laughs> yeah, U of M. Okay. better hurry, people. Okay, U of M's playing Iowa. <laughs> oh, we gotta. Let, okay, let's keep going. Yeah. It's, oh, <laughs> I was going down. No, no, it's college football season right now, so. Hey, designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct, the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it, be a cost we're saying well what about carbon you know we've got two levers now that we can if, if an architect has an inefficient design we can hit him with two levers if you like <laughs> <laughs> the official casualty figure is fifty-five thousand. everybody i talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much and i believe that i mean seeing what i saw turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations, that's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today.